Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you are in the right place. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that comes up every spring for schools, and it has uh, has to be handled well by school leadership and school boards, and that is school personnel contracts and the renewal or non-renewal of those contracts. Unfortunately, there are just a lot of ins and outs, nuances, and procedural requirements associated with the contract renewals, which means there are plenty of opportunities for missteps. Each year, we have clients that either they fail to see around particular corners, or perhaps they get a little sloppy in their approach, or perhaps they simply handle matters as their district has handled them in the past, not realizing that their process is actually flawed when it comes to legal issues. So today, we thought we would just dive into non-renewals. I, I do want to be clear in the scope at the outset and try to get us all on the same page here because we are going to be talking about non-renewals. And we're going to be talking about non-renewals of teacher contracts and administrator contracts, at least principals and assistant principals. But we're going to limit our discussion to non-renewals uh, as opposed to termination of contracts mid-year or in the middle of a contract. That is a different animal altogether. And so that would call for a different process and a different discussion on a different day. But today we're going to just really focus on renewing contracts for teachers and principals for the following school year, which by definition means that we are not going to be talking about the separation of a tenured teacher or really the termination of a probationary teacher in the middle of the year or the termination of a multiple year contract for an administrator. We're simply going to deal with whether or not we're renewing those individuals for next year. So having said all of that, let's start with probationary teachers. First thing to do, step one, make sure they're not tenured. And I know that sounds crazy, but you know, every year we have somebody that is uh, where the board has voted to non-renew and come to find out that teacher is tenured. So, so we want to make sure we understand the tenure rules at the outset. And there are some ins and outs to that. Obviously, we, we think about when we're talking about a tenured teacher, somebody who's qualified under the base rule, that's kind of easy. And we usually can pick that up pretty quickly and, and don't have too much of a problem there. And when I say the base rule, I'm talking about somebody that has worked five successive full-time years in the same district, and then they continue to be employed as a teacher thereafter. It's the five years and a day rule. Now, there are a couple of other things that come up, other issues associated with the acquisition of tenure that I want to talk about. Uh, one is that uh, you can have somebody that is tenured and they leave the district and then they come back. And if we have somebody that does that, and we didn't used to see this very much, but anymore, uh, there are people that are doing this. Maybe they, they go to a metropolitan area to kind of get that increased salary to get the numbers up for retirement purposes and then come back for a couple of years, that sort of thing. Anyway, the uh, what I'm really talking about is somebody that's been a permanent teacher and they come back to the district and they are probationary. 
for the first two years. But once they have worked two successive years as a, as a teacher, they are now tenured again. And it's not two years in a day. It is two years. So, uh, And we also have to remember that people can acquire tenure on a pro rata basis, meaning that they can get tenure if they perform part-time, and then they can reacquire tenure that way. And sometimes we see that happen with our retirees that come back. I'm not saying that necessarily a court would say that they have reacquired tenure, but I think that based on the language that's in the statute, there's certainly an argument there for that. The other way that we run into a problem with tenure and people not realizing that they're dealing with a teacher that has acquired tenure is with respect to the waiver rule. And the way the statute works is that if you have a probationary teacher and they have two or more years in another school system, and that's the language of the statute, other school system, not defined, they get one year towards tenure waived. So the board shall waive one year towards tenure if they've had two or more years in another school system. Clearly, that would be another Missouri public school district. But if it's something else that you're looking at, uh, I don't think it includes private schools, but you know, sometimes we end up with some issues about whether or not something qualifies for that waiver. If so, we probably need to be talking as counsel to figure out whether or not we have somebody that's tenured or not. Now, the time does need to be as a teacher. When I'm talking about the five successive years or really any time that we're talking about performing as a teacher and acquiring tenure for that time, the issue that you've got to really consider is whether or not they're acting as a teacher. So that is defined by statute. The Teacher Tenure Act tells us who is a teacher and who's not, at least for purposes of acquisition of tenure. And that's really any employee of the school district that's regularly required to be certified under the laws relating to certification of teachers, except superintendents and assistant superintendents, but including certified teachers who teach in a pre-K level within a pre-K program in which no fees are charged to parents or guardians. So if we're talking about looking at the time to consider whether that counts towards tenure and we're looking at a pre-K teacher, uh, because sometimes our districts will take a, an elementary teacher and move them out of the elementary building and put them in pre-K and then move them back and that sort of thing. To determine if the time in the pre-K program counts as a teaching time, as a teacher, we've got to look at that issue of whether or not they're regularly required to be certified under the laws relating to certification of teachers. And then you look at the pre-K program and determine if there are any fees being charged. If no fees are charged, then it can count as teaching time. If not, if fees are being charged, it's actually not as a teacher. Similarly, PAT, parents as teachers, they're really not teachers under the Teacher Tenure Act. And so that time as PAT really wouldn't count towards tenure. So we have to kind of take all of that into account when we're calculating tenure to try to determine whether or not somebody is tenured for purposes of deciding whether or not they should be renewed or can be non-renewed. The other thing I want you to watch out for is what I mentioned earlier about the prorated time. In other words, someone can acquire tenure by working less than a full school year. That may be on a part-time basis. That may be is, uh, that they've worked one semester. So if, if someone, for example, worked the spring semester in a school district 
And then they, you know, as a teacher, they work that entire semester and then um, they start working after that under probationary teacher contract and work for the next four years. They're actually going to acquire tenure as soon as they hit that fifth year mark, which would be presumably the beginning of the spring semester. And courts have looked at this and said, well, if you're going to non-renew that person, you would have had to do that the prior April. So uh, we would have had to hit the April 15th deadline for the previous year before they acquire tenure, regardless of, of when they acquire tenure during the school year. So keep an eye on that one, because that's the one that we end up with a problem sometimes where somebody has acquired tenure in the middle of the school year, and then we're deciding that we want to non-renew them that spring and no longer an option because that person has, in fact, acquired tenure. So we need to watch out for that one. And as I have mentioned, we've got to provide a notice of a non-renewal. And we have to do that by April 15th of each year. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But before we give them written notice of the non-renewal, we got to put it before the board. So the board needs to vote on each and every teacher for an effective non-renewal. And what I mean by that is that the, the statute contemplates that you will have one motion for each teacher. So we need that single motion, one individual. We need to have at least four votes for the motion to carry. In other words, it is a majority of the board as a whole as opposed to a majority of the quorum that must vote in favor. Now, we get into the issue of how that motion should be made. Sometimes uh, we have boards that will make the motion, uh, and the motion will be, I move to non-renew Mrs. Smith as an elementary teacher, whatever. It's made in the in that I would consider that to be in the negative sense, in the sense that that particular motion is being made to non-renew. The problem that we run into is that if you do that, what happens if you have a three-three-one vote, or you have less than four votes on the motion to non-renew? You end up with a problem because it's that motion will not have carried. And then it becomes unclear whether or not you have an effective non-renewal or not. So we always advise that you make all of those motions regarding renewals in the positive sense. And that would mean I move to hire or rehire, renew Mrs. Smith for the, as an elementary teacher. So, And then if you don't have four votes in favor of that motion, you know exactly where you stand. So now I will say this on the administrators, the statute actually says that it sh that motion shall be made in the positive sense. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But my recommendation to boards is that every single time you make the motion in the positive sense, and that way where there's no opportunity for confusion, and it's also in compliance with what we need to do on the administrators anyway. So sometimes we get questions about whether or not the motion for non-renewal or renewal should be made in the open or closed session. Now, it can be in either one legally. Uh, it is up to the board. 
Uh, some we have some clients that do these in open sessions, sometimes on a consent agenda, and uh, that can present some issues having it in open session. I would recommend from a legal point of view that all of their motions be in, in closed session with respect to renewals, but they can be in open if if that's what the board chooses to do. If we do do it in closed, you're going to have that motion and how each board member voted become an open record once the person is informed of the board's vote, but in no event any later than 72 hours. I know everyone thinks of it as a 72-hour rule, but it actually is the whichever happens first, they're either the employee is informed of the board's decision or that 72 hours expires. So now the motion and how each board member voted is the only thing that becomes an open record. No other part of the minutes, none of the discussion, uh, none of those pieces are uh, something that becomes an open record. Now, if you are doing them in open session, uh, as I said, some people do those on consent agendas, not recommended because the statute, the Teacher Tenure Act, actually states that you're going to have um, one teacher for each motion. And if it's on a consent agenda, that really doesn't uh, make sense. Also, frankly, most board policies say that a consent agenda is for routine items. I wouldn't consider a vote that you have every year, you know, once a year as a routine, but um, I suppose that's open for interpretation. But I don't like the consent agenda for one other reason. It's easy to run into nepotism issues. Yeah, just recall that if you have a board member vote in favor of hiring someone who is within the fourth degree of consanguinity or affinity, blood or marriage, they um, are going to forfeit their office. And so sometimes when we end up with these personnel matters and a listing of personnel matter, whether it's extra duty contracts or stipends or whatever it may be, and we list them out on a, on a consent agenda with multiple people, it's easy for someone who is on the board to vote in favor of that consent agenda without realizing they're voting to renew somebody, to hire somebody, and they may have forfeited their office as a result. So keep an eye on that one. You know, one question that we also get every year is that if we have a, a teacher that's non-renewed, can they address the board or do they have a right to appeal that decision to the board? And the answer is they don't have a right to appeal that decision to the board. But the issue of them addressing the board about the non-renewal is one that it causes a little bit of concern. The, and it will depend on the board's policy regarding public comments, visitors' comments, public participation at board meetings because some of our board policies are written broadly enough that they wouldn't exclude somebody from coming forward and addressing the board with respect to their non-renewal. So uh, that will be what answers that particular question. It's going to come down to your board policy language. All right. I want to take a minute and move from teachers to administrators. And I probably need to identify who I'm talking about when I use the term administrators. And there are a couple of different sets of rules and issues that come up when we're talking about the non-renewal of an administrator. 
And the definition of an administrator will apply differently with the different sets of rules. So lots of opportunity for confusion. Let me start with this. Many times when we're talking about a principal or an assistant principal and the board is looking at non-renewal, the board wants to know a couple of things. One, what process are they entitled to? You know, what's that employee entitled to do? Are they do they have the right to appeal that decision to the board, for example? Do they have a, a public hearing? That sort of thing. And then the second question is, if we non-renew them as a principal, are they going to be entitled to a tenure teaching position in the district? And those rules are in different parts of the statute, have different qualifiers and eligibility for uh, them. So I want to break it down uh, into those two groups, you know, what processes do and whether or not they're a tenured teacher. Let's start with the process. If if an administrator is non-renewed, they may, underscore the word may, be entitled to uh, some additional due process. Now, this is a particular provision of the statute that relates to select administrators, and it is uh, actually in the statute in 168.101 for those uh, law geeks out there that want to kind of look this stuff up. But it's actually entitled Employment of Certificated Teachers Ineligible for Permanent Status Under the Teacher Tenure Act, and it's all districts except metropolitan districts. So what does that mean, Uh, certificated teachers ineligible for permanent status? Usually we're talking about principals and principals, assistant principals. But the way the rule reads is that if we're talking about a school district other than a metropolitan district, basically the board is authorized under this particular provision of the statute to hire people as administrators. And they have to be certificated teachers, but it has to be a position for which they're not entitled to tenure, which means that a non-teaching position. Now, in order to be entitled to any sort of process other than written notice of the non-renewal on or before April 15th, then they have to be re-employed five times in the district as an administrator. Now, I want to break that down and unpack that. First of all, I said that you have to have written notice. Just like with our teachers, we have to provide them written notice on or before the 15th date of April. If we do that, then we have an effective non-renewal. If we don't do that, if we don't give them written notice of the non-renewal by April 15th, meaning on or before April 15th, then we have in effect by operational law renewed them in the same staff position for which they have been employed. So we basically have rolled their contract forward simply by not voting on it. Now, uh, when it comes to to that, uh, if we do provide them with a written notice of non-renewal, then they may be entitled to additional due process if they've been re-employed by the district five times as an administrator. The re-employed. Let's talk about that. Um, you don't count the first act of employment. So by simply going ahead and, and uh, hiring them, that's that's one time you've hired them, but that doesn't count towards this particular rule. 
They have to be reemployed five times, and it has to be as an administrator. So you can't count any sort of renewals as a teacher. It has to be only with respect to the, as an administrator. And what are they entitled? What are they entitled to in terms of additional due process? If in fact they do meet the that requirement of being reemployed five times as a district, as an administrator. Well, it is they get a, a statement of, of reasons if they request it, and they have to do that within 10 days of receiving the non-renewal notice. And then if they do request the statement of reasons, we've got to provide it to them within 10 days. And then if they uh, once they get it, they can request a hearing before the board. Uh, that hearing is usually an open one at the request of the administrator. They have a right to counsel, right to testify, right to cross-examine witnesses, uh, offer evidence sustaining his or her defense. But So it looks a lot like a teacher termination hearing, but there really isn't a statutory standard that we have to comply with. You know, For example, there are only a handful of reasons that we can terminate a teacher. Those have to be proven up in a teacher termination hearing. But in, when it comes to looking at these administrator hearings for non-renewal, it's simply a hearing about the reason that we provided them for non-renewal. And when it comes to non-renewals, as many of you know, can be for any reason or no reason, so long as it's not an unlawful reason. Now, I want to get to the second piece of what uh, uh, people are most concerned about when we're talking about the non-renewal of an administrator, usually a principal or vice principal, and that is, are they entitled to a tenure teaching position? Well, if they've been a tenured teacher in the district prior to becoming a principal or, or assistant principal, then yes, they go back to being a tenured teacher when they are non-renewed, if they are non-renewed in that district. Where this gets a little bit tricky and is often overlooked is that if that person has been a tenured teacher in another Missouri public school district and they come to you in your district as a principal or assistant principal, um, supervisor of teachers, in effect, and they work two successive years in that role. They are now a tenured teacher in your district. Let me say that again. So if somebody is a tenured teacher in District A and they come to you at District B as a principal, you hire them on a two-year contract, for instance. If they work those two years, and it's not two years in a day, it's two years, then they are now a tenured teacher in your district should they be non-renewed. So you have to make sure that you're bear, you bear that in mind. Now, there are some ins and outs to that that get a little bit touchy. You know, For example, will that person accept the tenured teaching assignment? And I think you have to assume that they will. And uh, remember that our tenured teachers have until June 1 to resign. So if that person either doesn't make up their mind, uh, they don't know what their plans are, they don't have to, to tell you that they're not going to take that tenured teaching position until June 1, and now at which point they can resign. So um, all important points to bear in mind when you're putting administrator non-renewals in front of the board. So that's kind of uh, in a nutshell – teacher non-renewals and administrator non-renewals. Uh, it's important also to remember that uh, if we do renew, 
that uh, we need to make sure that we are are uh, issuing contracts by May 15th on that. That's something else that's in the statute. And that's whether we're talking about uh, probationary teachers or uh, administrators. Uh, the statute calls for us to issue them a contract by May 15th. That's something that's sometimes overlooked. But in sum, that is really how it works with school contract personnel contract anyway, renewals in the state of Missouri. Hopefully it's helpful to you. Hopefully you won't have any missteps this year. And uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time today to listen to Ed Council Insights. And hopefully this will help you through this spring as you make your non-renewal decisions. We do hope that you'll follow and share our podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or you can just check us out on our website. Just Google Ed Council. That's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, all one word, and you will find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.